0: I have heard there's new models coming out and other manufacturers starting to offer EVs. We definitely need more to choose from and certainly ones that the average person can actually afford.
1: It is one of the biggest considerations for any car buyer, right? What does it cost? And because electric vehicles are still kind of new territory for so many people, there is this perception that they are out of reach or not yet an affordable option.
0: Yeah, I'd love one. They seem so expensive. You know, a bit like those high-end sports cars when it comes to price. What's the actual cost of owning one? Would I need to take a mortgage out on my house?
2: I think it's really hard to define the average person where EVs are concerned. There's often a different and sometimes a more complex value equation at play here. But yes, there are more affordable EVs in the works, MG Motors and GWM, for example. But product and price remains a big topic for discussion.
1: G'day, everybody. Greg Rust and Nadine Armstrong with you for another edition of What's Under the Bonnet, or part of the car sales range of podcasts here at Listener. Today, we're tackling affordability. We don't want to go crazily mortgaging our house necessarily to do this, but... It is something we we want to explore. And as you've rightly pointed out in the introduction there, there is stuff coming, isn't there?
2: There's hope. And we see it, all of the manufacturers, they are getting on board. There needs to be that tipping point. And it's not just one thing. A lot of things need to come together for that to happen, for product to get to Australia to start with.
1: So my friend here takes control of the production meeting leading up to this podcast and says, I demand that we get our colleague Toby Hagan on for a discussion. But there's a good reason for that because he, he has, to use that overused term, he's been an early adopter. He's thoroughly uh, researched in this space and he's also a lover of going out back, long road trips. So he's got some real world stuff to yeah, offer, too, th- doesn't I he? I think
2: he brings a really diverse sort of approach to looking at an EV. So he, he understands, like you say, all the aspects of it, but also owning one, it's really different owning one and talking about ones. So. He,
1: he's properly crunched yes. the numbers too, hasn't he? Yes, <laughs> yes. Spreadsheet, spread, spreadsheet Sammy will call him. So. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> We're also going to meet an EVer who jumped on board on a whim and has never looked back. This is a segment where we interview everyday people about the good, the bad, the learnings and kind of real-world EV motoring. Matt Quinn is a chartered accountant who has made the move not just because of the dollars and cents.
1: I love that pun. Well done. <laughs> he calls himself the humble accountant. He's he's very, very well versed in this space. Looking forward to catching up with him and talking to him a bit more about it. Thank you for your reactions to this as well. A lot of people are enjoying the conversations with EVs, just average people who are in this space, which is great. We are also going to talk to a representative from a big energy company, right? We have been over the course of what's under the bonnet tackling things like infrastructure and more. So Origin Energy made a very, very early move into the EV space with initiatives around helping other businesses kind of get on board. So Chow Lee is in charge of e-mobility for them and we'll be talking to her very shortly.
2: Yeah, she's really fascinating. And I think it goes back to that point that we talked about. It It is not just one person's responsibility. There's a lot of moving parts in making EVs affordable, accessible, and something that people can have as their everyday car, whether you're using it for your personal use or in a commercial sense. Our first guest today is motoring journalist Toby Hagen. And Rusty, I challenge you to name a car he hasn't been behind the wheel of.
1: Was he at the launch of the Lada Neva many, many years ago? No, I reckon I've seen him at Mount Panorama steering, pedalling pretty handily to some cars in the 6-hour and the 12-hour. So uh, looking forward to uh, getting him on. He's he's very much his own man, as you know, Nadine, but his dad, famous motor racing commentator and – uh, was always very good to me in the early part of uh, of my career a man with a with a magic voice and both of them with a proper proper passion for cars
2: we remember the good people the people that help us along the way don't we
1: exactly, exactly. he
2: is the former national motoring editor at Fairfax but these days you'll find Toby's byline in print and online locally and internationally Toby's not only a motoring colleague these days, but he's also an EV owner who is fully invested in the future of mobility. He's walking the talk big time, you could say, and I guarantee we won't have enough time to scratch the surface of Toby's knowledge, but we'll give it a red hot go. Toby, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, guys. Hello. Tell
1: us, mate, cars have just been your life since day one, haven't they?
3: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've been interested in cars since... Well, since I could crawl, I remember collecting all the sorts of model cars. I remember having a Lamborghini Countach poster up on my wall. I remember sitting there glued to the TV screen watching the Bathurst 1000. And I think it was 1985, the first one I went to, and absolutely loved it. And have uh, been, uh, yeah, a motorsport fan and a, and a car fan generally since then. We'd was, lay money. There
2: wasn't going to be a Tesla on the wall, was there?
3: No, <laughs> absolutely not. But you know the funny thing? I mean, I've obviously got I've got school-aged kids these days and... Um, it's funny, I bring home all sorts of cars from your basic ones, sometimes you get fancy ones, and the ones that the neighbourhood kids get most interested in is a Tesla. They absolutely love it. And just anecdotally chatting to kids around the neighbourhood and, and friends of friends, and they they often say, you know, one day I want to own a Tesla. And I, I just can't fathom that because, you know, one day for me I wanted to own a, a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, a Porsche, anything fancy like that, yeah. and the game really has changed. These days, they're, uh, you know, Tesla's done an amazing job on that front.
1: You know, so you've driven lots of
3: EVs for work, but when did you
1: actually buy one for the family? Given that that's where we've we've landed in the conversation here.
3: Well, the first time I bought one, Rusty, was earlier this year. So I, um, you know, it was probably late last year. I started looking at what was happening not only with Tesla resale values, and that's obviously an important part of owning any new car, but also starting to see that well, hang on, you can get a, a rebate on these things sometimes, and you know, you can save a bit of money buying it. So I suddenly sort of thought, well, this could make a bit of sense. So I um, I popped in an order. It took a few months to get there and and it arrived around about, it would have been February, I think, somewhere around that this year. It was a Model 3 and unfortunately I didn't own it too long because soon after they announced the Model Y, the SUV version, and I decided that that was uh, probably a better bet. So I offloaded a near new Model 3 and, uh, and jumped into a Model Y, which I picked up in August.
2: So you found two uh, EVs in the time that most people are just getting to learn about them and you have yeah. used them as your family car, which is a re- the real sort of thing we really want to get into in this episode is talking that real dollars and cents around, we know what it costs and we know that cost of ownership is still a barrier, but what about the ongoing costs of, you know, charging, maintenance, those kind of things? What have you experienced so far?
3: We've got solar on the house at home, so that's a bonus. I do try and charge it where possible using the solar. If the sun's out, I'll try and give it a go with that to potentially not cost you anything on a charge. But if I am paying for the electricity, I mean, most people around the country pay somewhere between 25 and 30 cents per kilowatt hour for their electricity, and the Tesla will take around about 60 kilowatt hours. So, you know, worst-case scenario is you're probably paying something like $18, somewhere around that, to fully charge it, and it'll get you it'll get me sort of 380k somewhere around that so $4.50 odd per 100 kilometers is roughly what it's costing me to run it if I'm paying for the electricity anything uh, south of that obviously is a bonus and
2: you talk about that rate that's for sort of your home charging and, and i know that when you charge at a public facility it's more than that i think I'm, i was looking at about 50 cents per kilowatt last time yeah. so how much have you had to charge outside of your own you know charging Facilities. The
3: only, so any time I've charged outside the house, it's been for free. So most of what we've done so far has been around town. It's been the family duties around town, going to the beach. My wife uses it to go to work, those sorts of things. And there's a few charges around us where we can get sometimes free charging. So, for example, my son's his violin teacher, uh, teaches from a shopping centre, and um, they've got one of these jolt charges. And you can put up to, I think it's seven kilowatt hours in it, for free. So we just plug in while he's in at the violin centre getting his lesson and all of a sudden we've got seven kilowatt hours, which is which is good enough for around about 45, 50 kilometres of driving. The other thing with Teslas, you basically got double the places to charge than you, than you do from regular EVs. I mean, obviously a, a Tesla can use any of the normal EV chargers you see around town, plus all the Tesla ones. And a lot of those destination chargers they've got are free. So there's, a, again, a shopping centre not far from my house and they have about or five tesla charges there they're often pretty full these days but if you go during the week i always say to my wife if you're going down shopping just take the tesla and plug it in so um you know you can get potentially 100 plus kilometers of charge pretty easily from that so the most i paid is what we pay at home which is around about 28 cents per kilowatt hour and as i said it's it's costing us well under five dollars to do 100 kilometers of driving and one of the things i love with the ev is you can drive it as hard as you want And you don't really use that much more or less electricity. It's sort of the same no matter what you do, whereas you do that with a petrol car and you're going to come out using a fair bit more fuel. But, you know, the regenerative braking and all that sort of stuff, it um, it ends up being pretty good. You love a road trip,
1: right? So venturing to off the beaten track sort of places. How does that fit with EV life now? And you've mentioned the, the sort of balance you have in the garage, don't you?
3: There's more planning when you do have to do a road trip and I've got to be honest, I haven't taken that Tesla on the big road trip yet. I did do another road trip uh, around about the middle of this year from Sydney to the Gold Coast and back in an EV, in a Polestar and um, it was fine. We did it fine and I actually worked out that we could have done the entire trip for free, like if I'd I'd wanted to wait long enough at all the the free charges, I could have done that. And, yeah, we were paying at, at some time 60 cents per kilowatt hour for electricity, so pretty much double what you pay at home but you're still paying far less than I'd be paying if I was driving a petrol car. So that whole trip I worked out I think it was about $117 I spent on electricity to get to the Gold Coast and back. So, you know, a 2000 k odd drive for $117 I thought was pretty good. But the biggest thing was the planning. You have to be on top of it in terms of thinking ahead. You can't just say, you know, we'll blast down there and, uh, and everything will be fine. You've got to obviously look where the charging stations are you then got to see whether those charging stations are operational. And this is something that almost caught us out because um, some of them aren't working. You've only got to take one of those super fast charging stations out of the equation and all of a sudden you've got a backlog of other people trying to uh, charge at a slower charger that's nearby. So there's a lot more planning, but, um, you know, with a bit of bit of forethought and a bit of uh, planning ahead, you can get it done, absolutely.
1: Toby, before we let you go, what excites you about Things in the pipeline. There are startups doing some amazing things. Tech is evolving rapidly. What sort of things are you now that you're an owner? Now that you're working in this space regularly, what kind of things are you are you looking forward to?
3: I'm really looking forward to some of the new charging opportunities. So you know things like obviously vehicle to grid and vehicle to home, being able to use the the car to potentially uh, feed back into the electricity grid, and that suddenly opens up all sorts of options. Once you bring in, for example, dynamic electricity pricing and having a look at uh, the ability to potentially sell your electricity at Mm. 5pm and and buy that same electricity back Mm. three or four hours later at a cheaper price. So I really love the idea of that. But look, the other thing I really love with the EV game is that we're suddenly seeing all these new players. I mean, as you touched on, you know, Tesla's obviously one of them. We've got Rivian, we've got BYD and Aura and all these other brands that can potentially come in and, uh, and make a big impact. We're seeing some, uh, I think, some pretty cool opportunities. And it's, mm. uh, you know, you're also seeing other brands, I guess, value-focused brands, Hyundai and Care and so on, starting to push into more premium territory. And I think the EV space sort of levels the playing field a bit. Suddenly you've got these, these mainstream brands that are playing with the, uh, the big luxury brands.
2: Toby, you have been in the game for a long time and obviously had access to EVs, you know, before the mass market. But have there been things that have surprised you in, in a good way, I'm hoping, about the EV experience?
3: Yeah, probably. Well, I think probably the biggest refreshing surprise is that it's it's been relatively easy to live with. You know, Mm. we've all had range anxiety. We've all gone, oh, you know, am I going to make it to the next charging station or whatever? But as I said, with a bit of planning, I've found it surprisingly easy to live with them. And the fact that every day you can get up with a full charge, and it's pretty rare that we're ever going to travel four hundred odd k's in a day Mm. in that car. So it's um, you know that ability to maximise that um, that range is pretty cool. Before we let you go. What kind of things are going to be in the garage or
1: tested in the in the not too distant future in the EV space for you? Come on, what are you what have you <laughs> asked PR types for a loan off?
3: Well, look, I'm actually I'm getting into very shortly uh, an MG ZS EV, which I'm really interested in. It's obviously the most affordable electric car on the market. I spent some time recently in the BYD Atto three, which is which is from a price perspective, it's most obvious competitor. And that end of the market's where so many people are interested. I mean, we, mm. you know, the questions I get regularly are, when are we going to get cheaper ones? Affordable, to a, yes. Yeah, more affordable cars coming. And while we all love to talk about the Porsches and the Mercs and all that sort of stuff, it's the affordable end of the market.
2: Toby, we've talked a lot about sort of charging and, and what those kind of things will cost somebody, but what about maintenance? And it's not something that we actually know a lot about, and maybe you haven't owned it for long enough, but what are the maintenance costs that are going to... Uh, affect you differently, hit you differently with an EV compared to an ICE car?
3: Look, your, your general servicing is usually a heck of a lot less. So some of them, for example, five years, 75,000 Ks, which is roughly what the average uh, owner would do, is um, you, know, you can spend as little as $1,000, $1,100 on servicing over that five years. Now, some of them are more, maybe two or three grand, but in almost every instance, you compare them to the ICE, the internal combustion engine equivalent and they're always generally less on that servicing and maintenance charge. And it's pretty obvious why basically you're checking suspension components, um, aligning wheels and so on, that sort of thing. It's not it, You're not really going uh, into any of the electric motors, the batteries, they're all mm. um, contained, they don't need any maintenance. The one thing I guess they do need, usually every five or six years, They uh, most of them these days are liquid-cooled, have liquid-cooled batteries, and they do need the fluid replaced on those uh, the, that liquid-cooling system. It's not a massive cost generally, but it can cost a few hundred dollars. So, um, you know, every five or six years you'll have something like that. But probably the biggest area where an EV will cost you more generally than a petrol or diesel-powered car is with the tyres. And um, basically it comes down to physics. You've got a you've got a heavier vehicle. It's usually sort of 20 sometimes 30% heavier because mm. of the battery. So straight away you're putting the tyres under more strain. You've got more weight rolling over them. But the second thing is you've got this instant torque kit. We've all been there. We've driven plenty of EVs and we know how it's addictive, right? Like the second you hit the <laughs> throttle, something happens. Yeah. And, again, that puts more stress on the tyres. So you can spend more on tyres. So if you go through two sets or three sets of tyres on, uh, on, on an EV, you go through, say, two sets of tyres on, uh, on a petrol car. So you'll go through more of them, but um, I think the savings elsewhere will outweigh that.
1: Well done. Enjoy. It's been super to get you on What's Under the Bonnet. You ooze passion um, as always. And we love the knowledge sharing for our listeners. And we look forward to getting you back on again at some stage. Thanks for chatting today.
3: Thanks, Toby. Thanks,
1: guys. This episode's Meet an EV probably has a few more miles or runs on the board than most of those that we've had on the show in, in recent time. Matt Quinn owns a Tesla Model 3, but he's been a convert for some time and he's in the studio with us. G'day. G'day. Great to see hey, you. We, How are you going? When did that conversion happen? What prompted the conversion?
4: It was an accident, but it happened around <laughs> um, 2015, 16. I had a, a Golf GTI and I was looking for a new car. I really wanted a M140i, the little hatch, mm-hmm. the last mm-hmm. of the straight six rear wheel drive um, which, which BMW really 1 good. Series, but they were a bit expensive. So I went up to actually Melbourne BMW, had a look around, they had some... Demo models for sale, and I saw an i3. and The salesman said, Oh, because I sort of wasn't looking at it, and he said, Take it out for a spin. And so we went for a drive, and it was really different hooked. and really interesting. Yeah. Probably not hooked straight away, okay. but a, a different car because I'm, I'm, as you know, Purist. quite into cars yeah, and yeah. sort of don't want to get the same as everyone else. And I thought, Wow, this is something really different. So it ended up being a six month old demo. I went back to them with a really, really low. Price and they accepted it, and so I managed to get it for a pretty good buy. And um, yeah, we had it for five years.
2: Did you have children at the time? We of did. Buying we the had three. Yep.
4: Two two kids. So we had two car seats in the back. Uh, there's not much room for <laughs> for anything else. So it's a four seater. But those sort of rear suicide doors mm. made it very easy to get kids in and in and out of. But the boot was probably its biggest um, drawback. Yep. being quite small. So we have another car, but this was the perfect sort of city second car.
1: Tesla's just won an award with car sales in the in the EV oh, yes. space. Tell us about Model 3 when that came about and how that's going. Given family life, it's probably a very good solution.
4: The biggest difference was the range. The i3 had 100Ks, but it did have the range extender, which gave you an extra sort of 100Ks under petrol uh, generation. This one's got 400. Well, I think they say 550, but it's more like 400. Mm-hmm. Obviously a bigger car, but also I was conscious of the i3, the battery. I had the car five years. It was six years old when I sold it. The warranty was eight years. So I was keen to sort of move it on before we got to that eight year point. So that, that was a factor. And then yeah, the Model 3, again, it was, I must've bought it at the sweet spot. It was about a year ago. The um, price, it hadn't gone up that much. It had the um, rebate in Victoria for the low emission vehicle. And um, and I put an order in and I I think I got it within seven weeks. So it was also pretty quick.
2: How do you go with uh, family road trips? The range anxiety is something that we literally talk about every episode because it is top of mind for people.
4: Yeah, it takes a bit of planning. I think you have to be sort of careful how far you're going. We do have a a normal car that Mm -hmm. we take, (laughs) which is a bigger car that we take on holidays, but we have done trips where we've needed to stop for a charge. And the sat-nav, I'm sure it's the same in all the cars. It's really good at picking those spots out. We had um, probably an impromptu lunch at a winery because it happened to have a charger there that we wouldn't have visited otherwise Mm. when we needed to. And the supercharger network with Tesla is really good because it's quick.
1: What's been the reaction among family and friends? I mean, you've done it a few years ago now, this move, but has that prompted others to make the switch as well?
4: I think it promotes people to look at all types of cars within the price range rather than just a petrol car or just an electric Mm. car. So when you compare it to, say, a 3 Series or a C-Class, it's actually, the Model 3 is pretty good value. Mm. And I think it also helps when they know someone who's had one so they can ask all these type of questions. In fact, I just got my aunt who's um, 75. She just picked up a Model Y. Fantastic. Probably at my encouragement, um, she had an older car it was costing a lot of money in servicing and, and petrol. It used a little bit of petrol. She does quite a bit of driving. So for her, it was, wow, I never have to go to a petrol station. Mm-hmm. I can fill it up in my house mm-hmm. and I don't have to really get it serviced for many of those um, expensive items again.
1: You're someone who's enjoyed cars clearly uh, uh, over time. Is there a hero car in this space for you or have you kind of latched onto it?
4: I just keep up to date with the newest um, developments and whatever that is. I'm not a Tesla super fan like okay. some people are because yes. that's sort of tend to go a bit far one way. I think you have to be open to all cars. I, I was driving behind an Ionic 5 yesterday. I thought they're a great looking car. You just can't get one. Yes. And I think as more and more become available, I think it's more about a decision of what's the right car for you and your situation and your family, whether it's petrol or it's electric. Um, i think it's just one of those decisions you make at the time i know that the dean wants to take hand and hey
1: it has been fabulous to talk to you about this thank you very much for coming into the studio today and sharing a bit of your your experience and um and hopefully that encourages those that are new to this space knowing how long you've been playing in it for now and that you've had a couple of models and, and good experiences to, to make it a consideration when they're, they're next looking for a car. We might
4: get your aunt on. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure she'd, be, she'd love to do it. Happy to answer any questions. Good on you. Thank Thanks you for so much, Thanks, Adi. Thanks.
1: Let's bounce through some EV news. And this is really the full gamut here, isn't it? We're covering it sure the full is. spectrum.
2: It sure is. It's quite extreme, isn't it? When we say that the electric vehicle podcast has something for everyone, we really Meanness. mean it.
1: <laughs> Rolls-Royce. So we're talking affordability and there are people listening to the pod that will be able to afford this. And we're talking like around $800,000, but this is the first battery powered Rolls-Royce in a luxury two-door to replace the Phantom Coupe, isn't it? Yeah,
2: it's called the Spectre, the Rolls-Royce Spectre. So it was just revealed recently up to 520 kilometres in range. So, yeah, that hurdle's been covered.
1: 900 Newton metres.
2: Yeah, so it moves.
1: It It moves. moves. (laughs) We can expect this, I think, End of the year, is that right?
2: Yeah, apparently. Yeah, apparently. But like you say, eight hundred grand and, and plus extras, right? Once you get those diamond encrusted handles and those, you know, fancy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> listen to you. Listen.
2: <laughs> these are gonna be over a million dollars, these vehicles. So oh, yeah. well but, you know, possibilities are endless.
1: The subject is affordability. Most owners will spend, what did you reckon, at least another six figures on personalization. Oh, Goodness me. Right. It. Let's go to GWM because they're talking about Releasing a raft of them, aren't they? And, and not just electric.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, GWM is Great Wall Motors, that people might know, the, the Chinese car maker, and they've committed to 50 NEVs. NEV means new energy vehicles because God knows we need another acronym in the <laughs> auto industry. NEVs. So, in those 50, that includes things like hybrids, plug in hybrids, and electric vehicles. But still, that's 50 new vehicles coming, and that will be at the more affordable end. So we're, we're tipping, you know, some of them are coming in under 60 grand, which is where we need to see the price below that.
1: And the more of those things that come in, I mean, obviously we need manufacturers to dedicate a release of enough of them into the Australian market. When that sort of flood starts, if you like, the take up will be great, won't it? Absolutely. We need the stars to align. We need to listen to you, the stars to align, and not just on the handles of your Rolls-Royce. Yeah. Um,
2: Speaking of stars...
1: Oh, here he is. He was, <laughs> he was on The Showroom, our other car sales pod, very recently. He decided he wanted to change things up and get on the soapbox and what have you. So The Boss... Mike Sinclair has been overseas in Denver, I think, for the release of a new Mercedes electric vehicle. And this is his little report.
3: I'm sitting in a brand new Mercedes-Benz EQE SUV with Holger Ensman. Congratulations on the car. EQE and EQS, such an important vehicle for Mercedes-Benz. Yeah, thank you very much. We
5: started in 2015 with the, those vehicles and uh, I guess it was a turning point for Mercedes in terms it was the first architecture that is fully dedicated to be electric, as you can see. So, it, it was also a turning point in terms of car design, it was a turning point uh, in terms of battery electric vehicles and also in software as, as we have the uh, hyper screen in front of us. You can see it's, it's a complete new design, it's a complete new technology and a complete new new HMI so human machine interface that was really new for Mercedes-Benz and as we see right now it was the right decision in 2015 to go in that direction.
3: Really interesting for me to come to effectively this full electric vehicle architecture yet the car you've managed to retain the traditional Mercedes feel. At the
5: end of the day, it should be a Mercedes and, and the number or the, the naming EQS, EQE also references to our S-Class or our E-Class. So it's quite important that the customer has the, the feeling, NVH behavior of the vehicle and the the ride of an, of an S-Class or of an E-Class. So that was a very important point during the whole development phase of those vehicles.
2: We're such an impatient lot though, aren't we? He's, to- <laughs> he's talking about, so this was seven years ago planning this dedicated platform, but they wanted an EV. They wanted innovation, but it must retain that Mercedes-Benz DNA. It has to be there, doesn't it?
1: It does. It does. Now, now, we can't do this episode without talking price. What are we talking here? It's pretty significant, this one, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know,
2: uh, I mean, compared to the Rolls, you know, this is only about a quarter of a million. Okay. Yeah. So, you no, know, a different different type of affordability, but yeah, th- this is not for the, the average punter, but again, Mercedes-Benz now have dedicated platforms, large SUV platforms. So I think it's fair to say it's well and truly on.
1: Now, news. If people have a thirst, of course, in between episodes of What's Under the Bonnet, best place to get it is from our electric vehicle hub, isn't it? Which is a part of the car sales website.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you'll find news reviews, but also advice and those sort of, you know, frequently asked questions. There are so many questions out there, little simple questions that again, will just ease the pain of Am I ready for an EV?
1: Speaking of frequently asked questions, time for my favourite segment we like to call (coughs) Listener Mailbox. And the first bit of listener mail actually falls around this month's topic.
3: G'day Rusty and Nadine. My name's Andrew and uh, I've got an EV question. Now, it's not about range. It's not about charging. It's simply, when am I going to be able to afford one?
1: Good question, and it's become very much the subject of this episode. To put a timeline on it is probably a little hard, but the reality is, from what we've been talking about today, it's getting closer, isn't it? It it
2: really is. You would like to think. I would like to think in the next twelve to eighteen months, we're going to see the price coming well under sixty grand. But even more so, you know, we we need an EV under forty grand. But then, you know, there's that whole balance of you know your lifestyle needs, what sort of EV do you need? So. You know, it is really a complex question depending on your EV needs. And let's not forget that EVs right now, they're not for everyone.
1: And Andrew, if you go to the car site, you can find a good story not all that long ago on the affordable range of EVs currently on offer in Australia. Yeah,
2: that's correct. I mean, that is one of the big questions we get all the time. So we have a story that we update all the time. So what are the most affordable EVs? And MG always comes to mind because they are coming in around $45,000, which is really where it needs to be. You've got Kia as well. We've got the Hyundai Ionic, But that story gets updated. And also, jump on car sales. We've got something called the new car calendar, and that covers everything. So combustion engine vehicles and EVs but it goes through by manufacturer. So if you're an Audi fan, for example, and you might want to wait for an Audi product launch coming, we give you an indication of when that's coming and what the model is. So jump onto both of those, have a look at the most affordable EVs, but also what new cars are coming.
1: Back into the email box. Here's uh, another one now around four wheel drives. Hey Nadine, hey Rusty, how you guys going? My name's John, and I recently purchased an Izuzu MUX for camping, off-roading, and towing my camper trailer. I didn't want to buy that car, but I couldn't find an EV alternative. So my question to you guys is um when can I expect to change my MUX over for a suitable EV that doesn't necessarily weigh too much and can do
2: everything my diesel car can? I wish I had better news for John right now, but I don't. don't. And it goes back to that. Remember, EVs, and certainly not right now, they're not for everybody. Mm. They're not going to fill that gap. The MUX is such a great, capable and affordable vehicle. So John is not going to get like for like in an EV just yet.
1: Without wanting it to be a blatant plug for what's under the bonnet either, probably worth directing John back to a very recent episode of what's under the bonnet where we had Noah Wasmer from Rove on. They're doing some great things in this particular field. And uh, it was kind of a moment of pride for us to think that the Australian auto industry, which has gone through so much tough stuff in the last five to, to 10 years, that we're doing some pioneering things that are potentially Good news in the future for people like John?
2: I think so, because while we don't have the right product here, the innovation in the industry is quite incredible. And to think we're doing it locally, like you say. So, you know, retrofitting electric engines into vehicles, it's not happening for the MUX, but, you know, that is something, you know, we've, we're filling the gap for the time being. And I think that's a great thing for the industry locally.
1: It is an expensive option to retrofit like that. And I, I think when you and I talked about this off air today before coming on, for now, the MUX is probably the best solution for John, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're all in a hurry to do this, but I think also let's realise, let's not make a mistake of buying something that doesn't fit our purpose and our lifestyle. So if you're really keen for an EV, but it's just not working for you yet, don't feel bad because you're not alone.
1: Now, we're very sorry to everyone who's mailed in for those that we couldn't get to. We'll endeavour to respond to some of you directly, but we pick a couple each month to weave into the podcast. If you'd like to be a part of it, send us. A little voice memo or an email, you can do it the standard way if you want to, podcast at carsales.com.au. We'd love you to be part of the show. Nadine, we often talk about what manufacturers are up to in the EV space with new models, startups and the great things they're doing that kind of disrupt the landscape with fresh automotive thinking and what's happening around infrastructure. Our next guest is from an energy company, but with a role that focuses on e-mobility. From Origin Energy, we welcome to the show the General Manager of Strategy, Chow Lee. Hello.
0: Good
2: morning. Hi, Chow. Thanks for joining us.
1: Just set the um, the kind of record for the audience here. What is Origin 360 EV?
0: Yeah, so... 360 EV is the umbrella brand under which we house all of Origins EV activities. Um, So we're very interested in just helping customers make that switch to EVs by providing them with very simple and seamless solutions so we cover everything from the energy solutions to optimized charging solutions to getting them into an EV uh, as well via leasing arrangement or sharing arrangement so hence 360 we do uh, the whole solution
2: and I think people, when they think about EVs, they don't really think about an energy company being something that's going to help, you know, push them along. So how did that come about? I mean, it feels like a natural partnership for someone that's in the business, but, you know, from a general consumer's perspective, they think about manufacturers and what's the government doing. So how do do Origin see their role in actually helping consumers and businesses move forward?
0: Yeah so as an energy retailer we're very excited about the electrification of transportation. So firstly it brings more electricity demand and that's great for us but we also see this um, intersection between energy and mobility as being quite unique and you know like once in a lifetime intersection. So we're very excited in being able to help customers get into an EV, but also the ability for us to manage the energy from all of these batteries on wheels so that we can create value for the energy markets and then share that value back to our customers to then help subsidise the cost of getting into an EV.
1: How long has Origin kind of been um, pursuing this space? And is there is there a tipping point for the initiative from a company perspective. How's it going?
0: Not a lot of people know this, but Origin has been in the EV space since 2008. It's quite a long time. So we were the leading provider of charging solutions to EV drivers back in 2008. And these were mainly Nissan Leaves and the Mitsubishi uh, plug-in hybrids. We launched 360 EV three years ago to really accelerate our focus in this space. And we're seeing a lot of momentum and um, interest in, in this from customers.
2: I think, again, if we look at uh, general car sales, you know, commercial sales account for more than probably 50% of car sales in Australia. So how does that, what are you hearing from businesses and Mm -hmm. them turning their fleet into EVs and that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, so 360 EV fleet is one of our core product. We launched this 18 months ago in response to feedback from our business customers that they're interested in making the switch to EVs in their fleet but they just don't know how because it's not as easy as ordering a car and handing that to their employees and off they go. There's a bit of planning involved. Charging is a common question that we get. So 360 EV fleet is a whole fully managed end-to-end solution. And we wrap that up in a business case and then we help them implement that. And then the piece that um, most people overlook is the change management piece, like getting their employees to be comfortable with driving and charging an EV And we help organisations with that as well. What uh,
1: kind of role is Origin playing as far as expanding the charging infrastructure that you spoke about there a moment ago too?
0: Yeah, so we believe that 80% of the charging will be done either at home or at work. So this is the segment that we're um, most focused on in the near term, helping providing our customers with charging solutions at their residential home, whether it be, um, you know, houses uh, and, and apartments. Apartment is a big segment that we're trying to help at the moment because it's quite hard for residents of apartments to put an EV charger Um, and then at the workplace, so providing organisations with workplace charging to um, charge their fleet and to enable employees to charge their cars.
2: Yeah, on that, I, I love, I've, I've read a little bit about Origin's smart charging trial findings, and I can see you've made some segmentations around people like tinkerers, evangelists, and A to B drivers. And I love that because I think we all do come from a very different place. We know there are a lot of early adopters who love the tech and so on, but people buy an EV for different reasons. Tell me a little bit more about that research.
0: Yeah, um, we've been running our smart charging trial with ARENA for over two years now. So the Tinkerers are definitely your early adopter cohort who is very engaged in energy, very knowledgeable about energy and their cars. The Evangelists just love EVs and they're doing it for sustainability reasons. 90% of them have solar, 20% of them have batteries as well, which is like a really big number Mm. considering the economics of batteries. And they know exactly, you know, when to charge and how their car is being charged and the cost of charging.
2: What do you expect? I mean, how does this trial
0: steer your future direction and
2: investment there, sorry?
0: The hypothesis of the trial is that when mass adoption of EV occurs, people might come home from work and plug their car into charge at say 5 p.m. And this coincides with the evening peak placing constraints on both the wholesale market as well as the the distribution network. So what we were trying to prove with smart charging is that we can push out the charging load outside of this evening peak into either the midday period or the midnight period where prices are lower
1: Chow, can you tell us about Origin's involvement in EV100?
0: Like I said, we've been been operating EVs in our fleet for a decade now. We um, decided to sign up to EV100 and commit to transitioning 100% of our passenger and light commercial vehicles over to electric by 2030. So this is um, 600 out of 1,100 vehicles in our fleet we've committed to transitioning to electric.
1: Before we let you go today, because I think this is fascinating that you've been on this journey, this EV train for over a decade now, what kind of things in the coming 10 years are you looking forward to seeing in this space?
0: We're looking forward to car manufacturers taking Australia as a serious EV market Mm -hmm. and bringing more EV models and more affordable EV models into Australia. And, um, you know, I'm on the board of the EV Council and our main focus this coming 12 months is to help guide the conversation on fuel efficiency standards to make sure that Australia gets our fair share of affordable EV supply. And then, yeah, looking forward to just seeing more people drive EVs and EVs becoming a, a, a commonplace thing rather than a, a unique thing.
2: Joe, I'm sure there are a lot of um, business owners listening that are probably thinking about converting their fleet to EVs, but you know haven't just quite got there. What, what is it? What's going to nudge them over? What are, what are some of those hard facts around you know commercial uh,
0: imperatives around switching to an EV? Yeah, so so the the common question that we get asked from uh, our business customers is why now. Why don't we just wait until three years time where there's more EV models available and prices are lower? And our advice to these businesses is that you should start trialing and piloting a few now so that you can take the learnings and have the infrastructure in place so that you're ready to transition more of the vehicles over to EVs when the right time comes. So start now. You don't need to solve all of the problems uh, all at once. Start a few, start with the low hanging fruit just get your employees driving an EV. You know, we run EV drive days on behalf of the New South Wales government uh, quite regularly. We actually have one coming up in November, so the 9th and 10th of November, and they're targeted to help business customers learn everything they need to know about transitioning their fleet to EVs. So if they're interested, reach out to Origin and yeah, we can help them on the journey.
2: I would imagine that measuring the environmental impact and and sort of organizations are looking at their carbon footprint surely that
0: is a bit of a no brainer as well in terms of reporting measurements yeah for sure because um a lot of the organizations that we speak to start with the sustainability angle so the sustainability managers are all on board really want to get it done but then when they go through the organization speak to the fleet procurement managers speak to the facilities managers about charging it all becomes a little bit too hard so that's where origin come in you know we can hold their hand through the whole process and make it simple for them
1: Uh, it's no surprise to me that you're on the ev council you speak about this stuff so superbly we would love to get you back on the podcast again down the track at some stage Chow, thank you for talking to us today and if you'll pardon the pun to you and your colleagues at at origin keep powering
0: (laughs) thanks very much for having me
1: We're nearly out of time on this episode. Not out of charge, though. We're never out of charge. Oh. You're like the Energizer Bunny, aren't you? <laughs> You're already thinking about the next episode. And you, good people listening to the podcast, are helping to drive some of the conversations. So, as we said, with the listener. Uh, male, we are going to tackle more extensively this whole range of four-wheel driving, off-roading, and when that will become more of a thing in the EV space.
2: Absolutely. If you think about it, there's that jingle, that boating, camping, fishing. <laughs> but, but can EVs really deliver on that off-road, outback, adventurous endeavours of the Aussie market? We love doing it.
1: Well, and and it's In the general space. You can listen to our other podcasts, by the way. We have four of them in the in the car sale space. But the showroom, for example, we tackle everything that's happening in the market. And we know that these kind of vehicles are still super important in the Aussie psyche, aren't they? Whether it's whether it's just the family truckster. I mean, there are plenty of four-wheelers out there that people will never use in an off-road sense. And there are people that properly want to go to Uluru, go and do the Simpson Desert, you name it. So naturally, this is a a line of thinking for people.
2: May it never be said that EVs are the end of your weekend, mate.
1: That's it. (laughs) 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 Uh, Thank you to our producer, Kelsey. Thanks to you, Nadine. What are you driving? What's coming up for you before you go? Come on, what are you driving? I'm
2: in a fabulous uh, people mover, the Hyundai Palisade this week, which is a amazing family vehicle seven seater there's nothing it can't cope with with a family load
1: we'd love you to be involved in the show too you can send us a voice memo very easily just record it on your phone 20 or 30 seconds send your question in we'll endeavor to tackle it podcast at carsales.com.au from all the team we'll catch you next time everyone bye for now Listener Production.